Hello people and hello my Chili Con Carnage crew, it's Chili here and welcome back to Mike Oldfield's tier album list. This is part 2 of a series that I have already continued on. If you haven't seen part 1, make sure to check that out because we discussed the first 13, I think it was, albums of his career. This one's going to be going into the second half of his career and of course it also has a little bonus one at the end so stick around for that. Mike Oldfield enjoyed a lot of success in the 70s with Tubular Bells and of course even into the 80s with albums like crises so what about the 90s and onwards is there anything really of worth and to that i say yes there is because there are quite a few interesting albums that came later on in his career maybe they didn't reach the soaring success that would see him through his early start of his career but i think they're very high worthy of mention anyway so Let's get into this because, you know, it's always interesting to dwell back and have a look at the artist of Mike Oldfield and his 26 plus albums that he has to offer. So let's get into this. We begin things with Mike Oldfield's 1991 album, Heaven's Open. And I've got to say, this is a really bad album. It really is a terrible way to start off the 90s list. I mean, Amarok, you know, was considered the get-me-out-of-this-record-label kind of album. However, Heaven's Open, which was technically the last album that he recorded for Virgin, is just abhorrent. It was a bit of a two steps forward, one step back when you're looking at, you know, Amarok versus Heaven's Open. An interesting one as well, uh, because, you know, Amarok was a drastic change, it's a change in pace, but this just returns back to the pop roots that he was really doing in the 80s, and very particular in the late 80s. So this one just kind of goes back onto old territory here, and I guess he didn't really want to give him strong material, especially because around about this time he really hated of course, he really hated, I had to stress that point again, Virgin Records. So, yeah, unfortunately, this is a pure garbage album. I can't say anything really good about this album at all. So, I'm not sure if the songs were written bad in protest, as it was, of course, the last record with Virgin, as I said before. But also note that this is the only album released under the moniker of Michael Oldfield. Everything else that he's done is under Mike Oldfield. So if you're on Apple Music and you want to find this album, you actually have to look up the artist Michael Oldfield to find him. I don't think Spotify has this problem. I believe they lumped it all in under his Mike Oldfield uh, title. But Michael Oldfield is a separate artist to Mike Oldfield on Apple Music. So keep that noted. But... I wouldn't really be too concerned because it's such a terrible album, I wouldn't even bother go looking for it, so who cares? Also, another interesting one is that the artwork on offer for Heaven's Open is actually the original artwork that was intended for Tubular Bells, but slightly reworked. So there's a little bit of trivia for you. Uh, an interesting one is music from the balcony. It's pretty woeful. <laughs> it's just a bunch of minimalistic noise. Um, Heaven's Open is okay, but that's the only decent track, and I can only say it's average at best. So, yeah. The only album to have Michael Orfield also perform all the lead do, uh, sorry, all the lead vocals on it. So, that's an interesting one to take note of. And also, the last seconds of the 20-minute track, Music from the Balcony, closes with Mike Oldfield yelling, F off. Maybe as a uh, hidden undernote to Virgin Records and, of course, the owner. So, this is really pop rock, experimental, electronic rock, prog rock, and, of course, New Age. What? 
1992, Mike Oldfield would release Tubular Bells 2. It is one of his first albums to return back to the Tubular Bells series, and of course one of the first of many that would follow suit. This is the first album as well under a new record label of Warner Music, and I consider it a very good return to form. It's a fantastic album. I love this album. I really do. I mean, the album goes back to kind of that older sound of Mike Oldfield while retaining that newer edge of the artist. I mean, the beginning also of the album does harken back to that Exorcist theme, which would be a recurring motif for future Tubular Bells albums, and of course, still retains its modern sound within the 92 soundscape. So it's a fantastic album. It's spread over 14 tracks but it's very well edited to meld together into what feels like one giant track. And it's a bit more experimental, I guess, than previous, but it's aged slightly better than, of course, most of his other material, uh, in particular around the 80s and 90s era. So I think this is a very good album. I really do. It's of that early 90s sounding new age music that would become more famous and prominent in a couple of years time. Maybe it's just on the verge of what would be something, a movement. But I don't know if I would go as far as to say it created the movement, you know. Mike Oldfield's always been on the verge of new age having kind of really created the whole thing. But the 90s new age movement was completely different, a whole new... Thing, I guess. I have nothing but good memories of this album. In fact, there are two pieces of trivia that I want to offer you in regards to this album, and that is the fact that Alan Rickman is the master of ceremonies for this album, introducing the various instruments, and the other one is that the Los Angeles Police Department also assisted in recording for this album, but due to the Los Angeles riots, they were actually renamed the PD Scott's Pipe Band to avoid being tied to this, which of course Mike Goldfield was very cautious of around this time. Keep in mind it's the LA riots in 92 and racial tensions are rather high, considering all things probably the best move to make around about this time. The best tracks I feel on this album were Sentinel, The Bell and The Great Plain. Avoid Moonshine though, I feel it just undermines the whole album and is probably a really terrible way to finish off this record. It's a very prog rock, Celt rock, new age, adult rock, ambient kind of album. And I can't really suggest it higher enough. Fantastic return to form again. It's a really solid album in his career. And tubular bells. In 1994, Mike Oldfield released his next album, The Songs of Distant Earth, and the namesake of this record is based around a novel by Arthur C. Clarke. And I feel like this album gets overlooked by a lot of people because it's a really selected ambient works of the 90s. You know, um, if you want to go to 90s ambience works, you can go to Aphex Twins, for example, but this one is a little bit different to what Aphex Twins is, it's vastly different actually. But if you go to Rate Your Music and have a look at their collective scores, they'll have it at 22nd on the list out of 26 albums, above of Heaven's Open, and I can't see why that is the case. I think this is much better than Heaven's Open, but hey, that's Rate Your Music for you. You know, scores just come in all the time, that's the internet, it's not the perfect way, but gives you an idea of how it sits. I think, though, this is a bit criminal. Really do have to recommend this album enough. I can't recommend it enough. Sorry for you people. It's a, another reviewer stated that this is pretentious and the only people who would find this 
good would find classical FM radio a bit challenging. And it's a pretty funny statement, I guess. It's a very different wavelength to a lot of his previous records. As I said, it's very much in the ambient field. So a lot of soundscaping is made into this. It's not really a driving force thing. It's almost a bit of background music, except it's not. It's actually memorable. It's got some good tunes. It's a very different album. The album uses an orchestra, and it feels rather sparse in a lot of sections, much more than previous albums, and that's for sure. All the music also flows into a long suit, if you will, which is classic Mike Oldfield, but this one more so. It has a lot of narration as well from, I believe, the Apollo 8 mission. I think they use a lot of overtakes and overdubs, I should say, during the whole record. So, yeah, you can hear a lot of pieces into there. That's a very interesting one. It's a very electronic album, much more electronic than all his other works to date, but... Well, moving forward, that would also change. So I think this is a very interesting one. I found this album very relaxing. As a matter of fact, so relaxing that I could easily fall asleep to this album. And I mean that in a positive note. It's just got this ethereal feel to it that is so chilled. It's a great album, you know. It's this chilled ambient works that are actually that just work it, it, it's so beautiful it's so amazing uh random fact as well samples led zeppelins when the levee breaks on the tracks are magellan and crystal clear so have a look at those ones but i don't care what people say i just love this album so this really blends into the ambient prog rock space rock ethereal kind of genres of music In 1996, Mike Oldfield would release a new record, The Voyager, and from what I heard, a lot of people were rather disapproving of Mike Oldfield for The Voyager, citing it as a jumping on the bandwagon for 90s Celtic folk music, and I feel that's a bit unfair of a statement to make, because, I mean, this is pure BS. He had written many pieces in the past with these influences in mind, if you went through all his previous works, in particular... Hardest Ridge, and a lot of other works. So, you know, this one, of course, The Voyager is solely focused on Celtic rock, as opposed to the, you know, Hergis Ridge or whatever, which is not, but it has its influences. But he had always, from times way before, just been in that area of music all the time, just touching his toes in it, if you will. But this one full-on jumps into the deep end. So yes, uh, even though it does have a Chieftain's cover song on here, it still is very much his own tune in regards to the Celtic movement. You know, and of course the Celtic folk rock scene really took off and had a bit of prominent rise throughout the uh, mid '90s. You know, a lot of I think the Chieftains great, great, got a lot of sorry got a lot of um, traction around this time with a few other bands. So yes, this is easily the most Celtic influenced album he has ever released to date, and that has not changed in the time. But it's not really an album that I feel much connection with. I don't really enjoy much of the music on here. It's also apparently the shortest record that he recorded. It only took like two months according to an interview that he did. So that's an interesting note to take under. I mean, you know, the Voyager had I think it was like ten or so tracks off the top of my head. You know, there was a whole bunch of split tracks there. Um and the fact that he only did it in two months well either he was on a creative spree or he rushed it. So I don't know what to say about that. The first recording was really meant as a pure acoustic instrumental version, but 
some uh, daughter of the CEO of one of the studio execs said, this is very boring. So he added a bunch of synthesizers and more instruments to the final dub, and that's the version that you heard. So kind of makes me wonder if you really excluded the down-tempo drum beats or whatever sections that you can hear, what the original record would actually sound like as far as this goes. Because i got to say, I think the acoustic or, you know, the rough version, if you will, would probably be, probably be more along the lines of Herdest Ridge. You know, just a very earthly feel, down to earth, stripped bare and whatever. I would be saying it'd be very interesting to hear, I guess, if a version of this comes out where there are just demo tracks. Uh, another odd fact is that Celtic Rain was sampled by Snoop Dogg for his song Why Did You Leave Me? And yeah, when I heard that song, I've never heard that song by Snoop Dogg, but obviously you've heard of Snoop Dogg, but yes, Celtic Rain is heavily sampled by Snoop Dogg, so wow. Didn't really pick him for a Mike Goldfield fan. <laughs> Maybe one of his producers are. Uh, this is a bit of a middle-of-the-road effort to me. Uh, again, it's just not a strong album. It's interesting, but it's not terrible. I don't feel strongly either for it or against it. It's just another record for Mike Oldfield. Uh, it didn't leave much of an impression on me. Still a decent record, I would say. I'm not going to throw it under the bus anytime soon, so... You know, I might come back to it sometime in the future. Very much Celtic New Age, Celtic Folk Rock, and, of course, New Age Rock again. We're going to see that up there a few more times before this episode's done. In 1998, we would see the release of Tubular Bells 3. Yay! It's another entry into the Tubular Bells series, people. It's a cause of celebration. But, unfortunately, it's another slide further down the standard as far as music comes for the Tubular Bells series. And would also be a trend for what would be coming up soon. So, yes, uh, this is not a strong album that I feel. This is an album I don't feel strongly for. There are some strong songs here, like the Top of the Morning with its piano movement. It feels very elegant. I can't complain about this song. But a lot of it is forgettable, I would dare say. That would be the easiest way to describe it. Yeah, I didn't really like the single, the Man in the Rain track. It somewhat feels like a vocal hook for Moonlight Shadow. Kind of just feels like rehashing of old works. So again, it's really not that powerful of an album. Oddly enough, when he performed this live in 1998, it was raining. So yeah, that's a random takeaway fact, I suppose, on the very few uh, live versions that Mike Oldfield has done. So, interesting one. It's an okay album. I'm just not really in a hurry to replay this one, however. So you might be intrigued to give it a playthrough. You can easily find it. Tube of the Bells 3 comes out. Looks vastly different to the other Tube of the Bells albums. Uh, with its very grey background. Silver Tube of the Bells. And of course, it's probably an album cover that's very fitting for what it is. Bleak. <laughs> Despondent. I don't know. Uh, just not that good, unfortunately. This is a progressive trance, electronic, new age, and post-minimalism as far as the sounds of this album goes. (music) 
Mike Oldfield was on a bit of a creative spree when it came to 1998. This was actually the year that he produced and released three albums, and Guitars was the next one to be coming out. And I gotta say, this album cover just looks like something that was released by Ronan Keating or Ricky Martin. It just has this weird boy band kind of look with a guitar looking soulful. I don't know, R&B inspired or something. Mike Oldfield there with his um, bleach blonde look is a bit odd looking. <laughs> I don't know what to say other than that for the album cover at least. But as the name suggests, this is a guitar focused effort when it comes to the record. It does away with the more electronic focused efforts of previous albums as you could hear from you know those last three that I just discussed. And each track may feature different styles of guitars and genres blending but of course always comes back to the guitar. So if you really want to hear Mike Oldfield just you know ripping out his guitar and kind of getting back to basics this is a pretty good album to go to i'd say you know it's still within that new age style uh, it's very much though kind of a poppy effort when it comes to the splitting of the tracks reaching that kind of four minute formula and just covering all the bases you know you have acoustic versions of songs with songs like muse embers and enigman i can't even say this one right enigmatism i think it is uh, you have acoustic with electric undertones with songs like go chase summit day and from the ashes but then you've got very rocky sounding tunes like rock and roll basics with out of sight and out of mind uh, there's also Blues on B Blues, Experimental Cross with Easton on Four Winds, and again, it's a decent album. You know, Mike Oldfield's a very good guitarist, of course. It's a very decent album, but it kind of jumps, this album really jumps around without much ebb and flow compared to many other Mike Oldfield records, which, you know, kind of follow some kind of semblance. So, you know, this one might be, for example, going on acoustic in one track, and then the next one it just jumps into rock and roll, and then it jumps into blues, and, you know, it's just a bunch of songs that are just slapped in there. Usually a bit of thought is behind the process of coming up with the tracks, and a little bit of editing too, to really blend them together. This is all thrown out the window as far as guitars comes to it, so unfortunate when it comes to this album. But again, if you want to hear Mike Oldfield just running rampant with a guitar, Go for gold, this will probably be your album to pick up. So this is Acoustic Rock, Adult Rock, New Age and Instrumental. Oh people, here we go again. This is Mike Oldfield and his final 1998 release, The Millennium Bell. So yes, here we go again everyone, yay! It's a Millennium Bell entry into the list. It's not going to be the last one either. Uh, this is just before the Y2K bug would come and destroy us all, but at least you have the Millennium Bell on CD-ROM that you can play if it wasn't for the Y2K bug shutting down every piece of electronic. Yeah, that happened. But anyway, the opening track, Peace on Earth, isn't that like, um, isn't that a Santana's motto? It just feels like it is. Pretty sure it is. Anyway, that aside. The previous Tubular Bells efforts really felt connected with their centerpiece at the beginning of every single album, which was the Exorcist theme song. This was missing on this album, and as such, it doesn't feel like another entry into the Tubular Bells. Instead, probably just a record exec just saying, slap Tubular Bells on the record so we can sell more. You know, it doesn't really feel like it continues on with the Tubular Bells series, instead, it's just a change of a moniker. 
And a lot of people actually tend to agree with this, saying that, you know, probably the, one of the worst decisions to come out of this band camp, or the whoever was thinking about it, was just to slap the Tube of the Bell series on it. If you said this was another album and renamed it whatever, the new millennium, let's say, it probably would have fared better a little bit, but because you're putting on the emphasis of the Tube of the Bell series, you're also running the risk of dragging that name through the mud or this one failing to live up to the hype and just being not as successful as, of course, the original, which is a huge endeavor to approach. I mean, you've already done it from the years before, actually the same year, I think, with Tube of the Bells 3, and Tube of the Bells 2 a couple of years prior, which was worthy, I'd say, of being in that entry. But anyway, I digress. The Millennium Bell does not reach those standards. It's um, a piece that I think my gold feel really... Um, wrote as an intention of all the music culmination of music throughout the last couple of thousands of years and you're trying to fit it onto some 60 minute album it's just an impossible task to create so it's just i don't know it's so random at times it's a bit all over the shop you know as far as mike goldfield goes with writing music he can do it very well but this one kind of just goes around the place a bit and plays it safe in some areas while at the same time going into autopilot it's very peak 90s new age with electronics and synth sections and not the strongest effort that he has put out a lot of people got a lot of this sorry a lot of this album got flack for its effort again i think that ties down to the tube of the bell series you know once you name an album in the mike oldfield uh, discography tube of the bells you are once again reminding people of what it's not so it's really a bad effort to be doing such. Not big on the title track. It's feeling like low-grade house music. It just was terrible listening to it. You know, it's... I don't know. For an artist that's been around for, at this point, close to 30 years to bring out something that just feels like a random DJ mix from a 90s mix CD, it, he could have done a lot better. Let me put it, I, I just feel like he could have done better. I know that Mike was... You know, trying out something new here, going into that kind of Euro house or trance or whatever mix. But, please, you could have tried a little bit better. <laughs> it's just not that good. So, unfortunate there. It's designed as, once again, it's designed as a concept piece of the, you know, 2000 years of music, but the mistake was put on Tube of Bells. Um, no link, of course, to the previous Tube of the Bells because of the intro piece lacking in this. So, yeah... I heard this album really described as non-essential, non-essential listening, I should say, but interesting. And I tend to agree with that statement, really. This is definitely not essential, Mike Oldfield, but it's interesting, Mike Oldfield. It would be much more interesting than, I guess, one or two of the albums that are about to come up next. So this album goes into New Age, Trance, Euro House, and Progressive Pop. In 2002, we welcomed the new Mike Oldfield album, the first of the new millennium, Three Lunars, or Trey Lunars, as it would also be called. Trey with a three instead of an E. It's very new age, isn't it, people? It's very nuanced. But this one is an interesting album. Cops a lot of flack, that's for sure. But I don't mind this album. It's very chill-out music. It's very much along those lines. 
just a bit surprised to hear it coming from the Mike Oldfield Bandcamp. It feels like this album could be played by DJs in Ibiza during day drinks. I'm not sure, but that's day club music right here I'm listening to on this album. And it probably was played, to be honest, as day drinks at certain venues. It very much goes along those play it safe kind of sounds. Maybe that's what it was intended for. Maybe Mike Oldfield was hanging around Ibiza at the time, or Ibiza, however you want to pronounce it. Maybe it was hanging around that area and just loving life, and just kind of fell in love with the music that was going on at the time, and just decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to record an album that's very much along the lines of what I'm listening to, but play my little bits over the top of it. And you know what? Credit where credit's due, at least Mike Oldfield's not going down the path of trying out everything that he's done in the past, instead he's pushing forward, he's trying something different, and you know, it may not have just, it may not have succeeded, definitely didn't actually in hindsight, but I gotta say, at least he's given a shot to new styles and not being stale, so it's it's intriguing to listen to Trey Luna or Three Lunas. I guess it's not a bad effort, but style of music really downplays the efforts that is on offer. Uh, what I mean by this is, well, it's a bit of a major issue, but it feels lackluster and passionless. Because when you come to chill out or down tempo music, which this is, there's not much to grab a hold on. There's not much really to feel a connection with. This is music designed as Muzak, and if you don't know the difference, Muzak is elevator music you could describe it as you know something that's played in the background is nice to hear but you're not really seeking out and going oh yeah i know that track that's whoever you know it's just a little bit of background noise that makes you forget something's going on in your life just something to drone out a little bit of white noise to a degree trey luna kind of is that it's white noise so you know previous efforts felt like you know, uh, when it came to previous efforts like incantations and stuff like that, they were of the time and new age works of art, but while this one is still new age and kind of catching up to the times of, I don't know, chill out electro, it just doesn't have that stance, it doesn't, it doesn't feel that edge of albums like incantations or Omidorn, because it really feels safe, you know, this is Mike Oldfield being overdubbed by a bunch of DJs almost. So it's unfortunate. It's just the style of music I feel is the major concern when it comes to this album. You know, while the 70s stuff he did was prominent for him and his works, this one just feels like uh, an older artist catching up with newer styles. Again, I say credit where credit's due, he's trying out something different, and maybe this could have worked, but at the same time, it just doesn't, and it's a bit unfortunate, because this is very much a chill out with Mike Oldfield as the special guest. So it just feels like at this point in Mike Oldfield's career, it's just flatlining. It wasn't a very good album, the previous efforts as well with Millennium Bells were just not that good as well, and you've got a very bad time during his career, it's unfortunate, you know. It, really is but this is where we are at there was also a remix album i remember around about this time i think it was called thou art in heaven or something like that featured the same track remix six times which was classic 2000 stable stuff 
and I don't really remember it. <laughs> I played it probably once or twice and I can't say it was too good. It's a remix, feels like a remix singles song, I should say, album, rather than an album. Um, if acoustic electronic chill out is your jam, yeah, give this thing a shot. You know, you might actually enjoy this a fair bit, especially if you like that kind of early 2000s chill out music. So yeah, this is very much along the lines of electronic chill out down tempo. So what do you do with a career that feels like it's flatlining and you haven't really released anything noteworthy in the past couple of albums? That's right, you jump back onto Tubular Bells. Because again, with this effort, we have Tubular Bells 2003. And what this album is, is actually, a, I don't know why this is considered a studio album, because it's a re-recorded release of Tubular Bells from 30 years prior. It's the anniversary album, if you will. Also note, it's not the last time that Tubular Bells would be re-recorded or such, so keep that note of a future. But Offield stated that he felt uncomfortable about the original works from Tubular Bells. And I can understand that statement, I guess. You are your own worst critic as far as creating anything goes. You're going to notice all the nuances, all the flaws, and everything that goes behind the scenes that other people just won't notice. But I know a lot of people obviously love Tubular Bells. It's one of its most prominent works. It's his most successful, I believe, to date. So to say that he was uncomfortable with it and to go about recording it, or re-recording it, I should say, for a newer sound... It's a bit of two things. He wants to rectify, I guess, any issues that he felt with the past, and also maybe capitalise at the same time, trying to get a little bit of credibility back. Maybe even a bit of um, capital, if you will. So, yes, this is the original efforts that he had, where he was talking about stuff like out-of-tune guitars and rough cuts and sections due to time and budget constraints. And if you've watched my episode in regards to retro review of Tubular Bells, I can understand this statement. There are a few rough cuts in the final mix for Tubular Bells, but <clears throat> that's the thing about the album, you see. I agree with the sentiment behind what Mike Ovil is saying, but after 30 years of loving the imperfections, anything different would just feel very wrong. And this is the thing about re-recording works that people have been listening to, especially for, at this point in time, 30 odd years. If you go about going to re-record an album, you feel like you're spitting on the past because anything that doesn't match what you are hearing already is just not what you're used to. It's intriguing, I guess. It's a double-edged sword where there's really, I guess, no good side to come out of this outcome, outcome. but here we are. So, this is a re-recorded version that is superior in quality and tuning but feels at odds to what we are used to and that is the biggest concern if you are an old Mike if you are being sorry a long-term Mike Oldfield fan just realize those words may just feel at odds with each other uh, so yes if you are a long-term Mike Oldfield fan and you are jumping on to Mike Oldfield's album 2003 Tubular Bells you are going to notice of course it is the original piece but it just doesn't sound right it doesn't feel right at all if you are new to Tubular Bells if you haven't heard it yet do not start with this album, that will come up a bit later on, I will tell you exactly where to start as far as his work goes. So, the other weird thing as well is that the Master of Ceremonies was John Cleese, 
course of Monty Python fame. He was brought in to, of course, introduce all the instruments during the part of, you know, towards the end of part one of Tubular Bells. And the problem is with John Cleese, you know, being a Monty Python fan as well, or anyone who is a fan of John Cleese and his works, all I can hear about when he starts talking about the instruments is the dead parrot skit. And it really takes away from the song, giving it a comical undertone, despite his intentions with his vocal patterns. You know, can you imagine sitting there, and Shubi Bells, this parrot has expired. <laughs> it has ceased to exist. This Shubi Bell has ceased to exist. That's all I can really hear. I think John Cleese was a poor decision as far as the Master of Ceremonies goes. There probably were 10, 20 other people that you could have chosen. I mean, hell, just... Off the top of my head, where's Stephen Fry? That guy would have been just great, maybe. But still, you know, you could have had someone else in there. But John Cleese, unfortunately, is that comical person. We'll always see him as the funny guy and put him in anything else. It's just recipe for bad news. So, yes, if it depends on how long you have been a fan of my Goldfield, is depending whether or not you will like this album. Do you like rework that works? Maybe you might like this thing then. But the original is, I feel, where it's at, except for my thoughts in regards to another album. Again, if you haven't heard Tubular Bells, save it to the end of this episode where I tell you which version to listen to first because that is probably one of the first albums you should go to, one of the very first albums that you should listen to of Mike Oldfield. So, again, this is New Age Prog Rock. It's a remastered, re-recorded, sorry, version of his original works from 1973, Tube the Bells. Again, I have no idea why they consider this a studio record. It really isn't. In 2005, Mike Oldfield would return with his first album with another new record label, this time on Mercury Records, the album in question, Light and Shade, and this is the long album. It's 90 minutes of music, an hour and 30 minutes, that's right. Two CDs, Light, Shade. So, let's talk about disc one quickly. It's very abstract at times, it's a very odd foray into electronic new age, for example, on the album, first, sorry, on the track First Steps. So, yes, it's got odd things throughout. It's brighter and quieter in pieces, a lot of the tracks, I should say, for the disc one. And the, and the Gates vocal harmony effects are really odd. I didn't like that song, just the way it played out. It's odd. It's that ends to my ears. It just feels a bit too weird. But you go over to disc two. Uh, it's supposed to be the darker and sharper tunes over on this disc. And the opening track, Quicksilver, feels like a 90s Eurohouse song in 2005, I should note. So, okay, <laughs> that, that just happened. In fact, a lot of um, Disc 2 can really be summed up as 90s Euro trance beats with Mike Oldfield. And it is very weird to listen to because I kind of thought that he got it out of his system when he did Trey Luna. So, okay, guess we're returning to this. You know, it's, it, it has stepped away, of course, from the ambient works of that one, and it's much more in your face, but still, it's uh, it sounds very aged, and it's 
not a very good album at the end of the day. Slipstream also seems to borrow the harmonies found on the track The Sunken Forest on the Songs of Distant Earth. So I found that a bit of an odd reference, I guess maybe it's a harken back to his prior works there. But I mean, at the same time, it's been done. You've done it in the past. You don't really need to touch upon that album again. I feel that one is perfect and left alone onto its own record. You really don't need to retread old territories here. So, yes, I can understand why people do not like this album. I really can. It's long, over-bloated, a bit haphazard at times. And dated. Just very dated, which is unfortunate. It's an overpopulated album. And Disc 2 is generic and about... 10 years too late to the scene unfortunately so this comes down to an album that is very much trance down tempo electronic and post minimalism We move forward in Mike Oldfield's career to his 2008 release, Music of the Spheres. Now, this is a very interesting release as far as Mike Oldfield's works go because Amarok might be the most adventurous sounding album in his catalogue, but this is probably the most auspicious album as far as it goes. The album is Mike Oldfield writing a symphonic piece. The entire record is a symphonic record. It really is a very interesting point and look into an artist at this time who wants to try out new things. You know, with this new record label Mercury, he can do so. So they gave him the opportunity. Hey, do you want to write a symphony? Let's do it. Let's do Music of the Spheres. And I know this was based around an element of something to do with spheres. I didn't have a look a lot into it but I know he concluded that the music is based around a theory of sort with spheres. I'd, people comment below as far as it goes why this music has been written because I think there was very minimal vocals. I think there's a little bit from memory but I just cannot recall at the time. So I'm not big as far as I'm not big on symphony type you know music but the closest I get I guess is symphonic metal. But this isn't too bad. I mean, I'm listening to it, you know, I'm no Mozart or Bach kind of person. And I'm listening to it just thinking, yeah, this is actually pretty good. It's got some hooks in there. It keeps my attention at times. Enough for me to not just skip past the entire record. There are certainly pieces. I think Harbringer was one of them. And it's certainly a very eclectic piece at times. You know, um, I remember getting this album actually at the library. You know, back in the day, I used to go down to my local library and they had just this wall of CDs that would just get updated every so often. So I'd go down there every couple of weeks and it was a great way to get into music that you just didn't have the chance to go out and buy. So, oh yeah, you know, look around, I've heard of Aerosmith, but I never wanted to buy their CD and there's an Aerosmith CD, go pick it up. And on this one instance, I had heard of Mike Oldfield had never heard of the album Music of the Spheres, but I liked his works, so I borrowed it. And I remember at the time just thinking, man, this is very weird, this is very different. What happened here? Did he become like this, you know, classical composer over time? No, he's just trying his hand out as far as a different sound and style, if you will. And it's interesting. I mean, the guy definitely has the ability to do so. I think he's done very well. You know, maybe he had a lot of help as well writing this and all that, but if he didn't, impressive, damn impressive. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting album. I just remember looking at this down the album, at the library, I should say. Cool cover. I found it intriguing, that's for sure. 
it's not bad as far as his albums go as the covers artwork I should say and also with the album it's not a bad album as well you know it's vastly different to the metal albums that I was listening to and spinning at the time but I found it rather enjoyable I did come back to this quite a bit at the time but I don't think I've listened to this record in close to 15 years so going back to this one kind of brought back some memories and it really made me think I should re-listen to this album in full time sometime soon because it's actually a very good album you know so maybe one time soon I'm gonna jump back into this you know I really did brief over it in preparation for this episode but yeah I'm gonna go back to it because I didn't mind it actually so yes this is a symphonic and orchestral album as far as Michael Fields goes very different The next album that I want to talk about technically isn't a studio album, but we're going to throw it in here anyway. And that is Mike Oldfield's album Tubular Beats, which is actually a remix album as the name would suggest. So this is remixing all of his previous works, not sorry, not all of them, various songs from his previous works. And Torsten Stenzel of York remixes various tracks on here. Fantastic effort, i got to say, by the master behind York, or half the uh, brains, I should say. Torsten does a fantastic job remixing various tracks on hand here. And i got to say, it's a very good album. I loved it. I didn't know what Tubular Beats was. I remember looking at it going, Oh, look, it's another one of the Tubular Bells series. Here we go again. This time it's going to be a remix of Tubular Bells. No, it's not the case, of course. Tubular Bells is on there, but... Yes, there are still some other tracks that are on offer from all his works. And i got to say, some of the best songs that I enjoyed were songs like To France, or Omidorn, or Tubular Bells, Moonlight Shadow, or Guilty. And I really do like this album much more than I thought I would. It's interesting to hear these songs being remixed by a legend in the EDM scene, and a fantastic job, of course, by the artist as well. And it's also a fresh approach to hear his works on offer. I'm talking about Mike Oldfield now, you know, so maybe this was introducing newer people to the mix, to the fold, and showing them what kind of artist this is. Maybe you're into the EDM scene and you're listening to this thing for some reason you've clicked on me and watched as far as you have. But if you are into EDM and all that kind of jazz, this might be a little start for you because, you know, it showcases a lot of his big hits throughout his career. It's, of course, done by half of York, remixed, and really worth a shot to listen to what he has on offer as far as the remixed part of it goes. Definitely one of his better one. So, yes, I've got to say, interesting album. So it falls along the lines of that EDM kind of music, more specifically, probably IDM, I should say, intelligent dance music, uh, house and remix works, of course. We fast forward one year to 2014 and Mike Oldfield has released a new album, Man on the Rocks. And for ages, at least three years anyway, I thought that this would be the last album Mike Oldfield would release. This album cover is very nice, it's very inviting. That's probably the only good thing I can say about this record. I do love and adore this album's artworks. It does look amazing. But, and I gotta say but, the music is so bland on offer here. It's very tempered. As far as Mike Oldfield goes, and his latter half of his career, 
this is his worst one, I can say, without a doubt. Even, you know, the very first album that I said at the beginning of this episode with um, Heaven's, uh, Heaven's Open is a little bit better or more interesting than this one on offer. So, yeah, it was just terrible. I remember listening to it just going, man, what has happened in my Goldfield's career to change this music so drastically? Because, you know, I've heard this one basically... I've heard someone describe this album as such. You know, stating that this is what Mike Oldfield would write if he was a generic rock star. And it's very true. It's so generic, just simple, adult contemporary rock. And I just... Ah, there's nothing I can say about this. There's There's no redeeming songs. There is nothing good about this album. It is a half-baked approach to the writing of this. I understand, I think Mike was cruising the globe on a yacht at the time when he was recording this. And I guess it feels loose in narrative when you're listening to it considering that fact. But it's just dripping of pop rock songs that it sucks, you know. (laughs) It was so terrible as far as this uh, music goes. It's an album for an album's sake. I don't understand his narrative. If you're cruising around the world at the time on a yacht, wouldn't you feel, I guess, more desire to write longer songs that would just drift you away to the waves that you were feeling on that boat? Because that's what I can feel. You know, if he was writing something like um, The Lake from Discover while on that yacht, I can understand that. You know, it just kind of, it would, it would seem more captivating or understandable, I should say, for that record but I, I don't know why he got in his mind oh you know what I'm gonna write these little short four and a half minute songs keep it safe with the power chords or whatever and just get some person half my age to do the vocals instead of me hey it's just yuck also the other problem as well with this record is that it's 60 minutes long and it feels like it goes for twice as long so Ugh, uh, yeah, again, avoid this album at all costs. I forgot to mention this for Man on the Rocks, but there is a track named Moonshine that appears on the album, and this is actually the second time that Mike Oldfield has actually recorded a track named Moonshine. The first time appeared, of course, on Tube the Bells 2, which I did mention all the way back a couple of minutes ago. It's adult contemporary rock, it doesn't stray from anything, and it is just playing it safe way too hard way too hard moving on we go to the 2017 release by Mike Oldfield Return to Omidorn and this was the last Mike Oldfield album that I was yet to play I was going through all of the Mike Oldfield albums of course in preparation for this episode I've gone through every single one of them now but Return to Omidorn was the one that I wanted to save for last. I didn't want to jump ahead of myself and listen to this record because I had a little bit of expectations. Of course, it's got the Omidorn part in there, and it's a return. Was it a return to form, though? I would have to find out myself. So, anyway, I left this album to very last. And that is actually twofold, because this album, it wasn't available on streaming services for up until actually a couple of months ago, I believe. So by choice (laughs) not by choice I should say by of course no choice to me I couldn't listen to this I could go down the shop I could buy it if I wanted to but I held off I held off because there was a you know if I went down to the shop and bought it 
and just regretted buying it because it was a terrible album, let's say, it would just leave me in a lurch. You know, this guilt spiral. Why would I buy, why would I spend all this money on all the streaming services that I have? And then to find out that the album came out a bit later and to find out as well that it was a terrible album. So, yeah, I, I kind of left it there for a while and I didn't play it and I thought, you know what, one day this will come out. And I was right. I was right. It did come out a little bit later on. It just took uh, only until 2023 that this thing finally got released. But hey, here we are now. The follow-up to the glorious Omidorn album. And I was a bit cautious because as Chibi the Bells goes, you are following up and it was a hit and miss when the Tube of the Bells series really went along. Would this be the same as far as Omidorn goes? You know, Omidorn was a fantastic album. As far as this album goes, it's just two songs, 20 plus minutes each track, and it very much underpins with Celtic themes, and it's very epic in scale. It comes along, of course, as those long pieces that are just drawn out and what you want within a Mike Oldfield album. I can safely say that the sweeping soundscapes really just caught me off guard as far as the Celtic folk rock musics and prog rock elements were infused within. And this might be the best sounding album as far as transitions between sections because it is so flawless that I didn't even notice it. It's come a long way. Hell, we've been nearly 50 years into his career and we've finally mastered it. No, but honestly, he's, he's done so previously with a lot of other albums, but this one more so because it is so seamless. You know, with his writing, it, it, while you have 20 plus minute tracks throughout his discography, a lot of them you can hear the sections. You can hear that minute and a half, and then there's that shift, and you can hear the next minute and a half song or something like that. That while it did have some kind of connection between them, you could just hear them if you're listening out to it. With this effort, it is rather difficult because it's done so well, so flawlessly. It's almost his swan song, if you will, because, again, this is his last album that he will probably ever record. Because as of 2023, Mike Oldfield has retired from the music world. And there is no other album that I can see as of yet in regards to him releasing. So this might be one of the, uh, this isn't really rehashing the previous efforts that you found on Omidorn. There's traces of the old but different piece really. And it stands on its own despite the fact that in namesake it is returning to the Omidorn. It's mostly the themes that are found, not really the musical piece, which is, again, completely different to the original Omidorn. And like I said, it really is the swan song for Mike Oldfield. He retired from music in 2023 and good on him dude's done 26 albums and this is a high note to go out on at least man on the rocks wasn't his final effort christ that's just thank you thank you that you released one more album after that one so thank you prog rock folk celtic all of this can be found on return to omidorn Okay, bonus round, and this one is the 2023 release, Tubular Bells, or the 50th anniversary, if you will. Where 2003's Tubular Bells was a re-recording of the original masterpiece, 
This is a remastered edition of the album, and I gotta say, it is just perfect. It is the master recordings were edited and fixed in parts, of course, to the wishes of Mike Oldfield, how he originally intended them to be back in 2003 when he said he wasn't happy with the actual recordings and ended up re-recording it. So, really, this is the final edition, if you will, of what Mike Oldfield's original plan was for Tube the Bells, and I think really does it justice on this album. It also contains a lot of bonus material for this one and has, you know, a two hour and 20 minute runtime, very long of course for this album, and it has so much tubular bells coming out of the bell holes you can't think about, you know, live recordings from like 2012 during the Olympics in London, the opening ceremony where Mike Goldfield was of course requested to play Tube of the Bells, or rather a segment, because, you know, the opening ceremonies, of course they take time, but, you know, to play Tube of the Bells in its full, well, we've got time, but not that much time, so he shortened it, but, you know, it, again, it has the live recording from 2012 on there, it has the stereo mix by David Coston of Faultline fame, I'm not entirely sure of the band, but that's where he hails from anyway, and of course it also has the York Remix version, the single version, the Tubular Bells 4 intro demo, and there's enough bells really to last a lifetime. This is probably the ultimate version of Tubular Bells with all of the bonus material included on there. I mean, there was of course the Tubular Bells release back I think it was 10 years prior, and it included all the rough demo mixes, but who needs that? You don't need the demo versions of Tube of the Bells. You know, you can live with this one where it's a rough mix and it's only a shortened version of that. I don't want to hear the 47 minute demo that Mike Oldfield pitched towards the record execs back in the day to Virgin. So yeah, this, um, this really is where it's at as far as Tube of the Bells goes. I'm actually a bit curious because, you know, Tubular Bells 4-piece, was there another intended addition to Tubular Bells that was scrapped, or is this just a rough demo with an altered version for the original track? So there's a little bit of history I couldn't find in regards to Tubular Bells 4 there, and I guess the question would be, would you want another Tubular Bells entry for his career? You know, if Mike Goldfield was announcing, hey, you know, I've retired for music, but this is my final effort, Tube of the Bells 4, let's say. Would you want to hear that? Or would you rather Return to Omidon be the final piece that you listen to from his career? Now, of course, I said earlier on in the episode, which version of Tube of the Bells should you begin on? And I've got to say, this version... The 50th anniversary is the best version to really go back and listen to it. Because, yes, with my Goldfield, of course, there's plenty of other albums as well, you know, like Crises and um, Amadorn, which are fantastic entries into his career. But Chew the Bells is essential listening to. And considering there are three different versions of Chew the Bells, at least three different versions that you can easily find on streaming services, not including demos or otherwise, then which one do you really listen to? So you completely ignore the 2003 version, and then it's really a toss-up between the original or the 50th edition. And i got to say, you could probably begin with the 50th edition. The remastered version just sounds like it's more full of life, as opposed to its original you know, counterpart. And it really does sound more 
updated to the current, I guess, uh, quality of audio. So it really does live up to the current standards you would expect to hear from a record. It's a fantastic effort by Chino Mike Oldfield to bring up tubular bells into the modern era. And I think a really great way to you know, re-enter this into the field after all this time. So, as far as Mike Oldfield and his music goes, it depends on what you want to listen to. If you enjoy, for example, your prog rock stuff, you know, stuff, Tube the Bells is a great way to start, or Omidorn, anything from really his beginning, his first three or four albums, fantastic start. If you enjoy pop, you know, maybe Crises is a fantastic way to start for you, because it does have his progressive side, but of course it also has the pop-orientated side as well, and he had a fantastic career around about this time, with Five Miles Out as well, so there is some interesting stuff to listen to there. If you like Celtic, for example, then maybe The Voyager is for you, because of the whole themes in regards to that, or Omidorn even. Especially if you like shorter stuff, maybe stick to The Voyager. If you want to hear uh, Mike Goldfield's guitar abilities, maybe you want to listen to the, uh, the guitar album. And, you know, there's a few other ones in there. If you want to listen to him do ambient works, where it's just trance Euro house, maybe Trey Luna is your mix. If you want to hear him just do adult contemporary, maybe for some reason Man on the Rocks is your thing. At the end of the day, there is quite a selection of Mike Oldfield works out there, and of course he encompasses a varying amount of musical abilities during his tenor. So there is a lot to take in. And maybe, you know, maybe I will get around to doing a ranking list of my favourite albums. But I think this gives you a fairly good idea with the tier list that I have on offer. You know, there are some albums that I would really avoid. Of course, you can see it up now. But then again, there are quite a few albums here which are very essential listening to. And I would really recommend. So, if you haven't heard of... Again, if you haven't heard of Mike Oldfield, highly recommend to check his music out. Maybe he's the artist that you're looking for. Such a fantastic musician, well, a very talented musician as well, and of course, he has just changed the music scene for what it has been. So again, thank you very much for checking out this episode. Thank you again. Drop a like. Make sure to check out part one if you haven't already. Comment below as well, again, with your thoughts in regards to some of these albums. Maybe you disagree with me and think, I don't know, this album deserves a higher spot because of XYZ. I'll be interested to hear your comments, or sorry, read your comments in regards to these albums. Because, you know, hell, we've all got opinions in regards to music. I love to hear other people's opinions when it comes to music. And Mike Oldfield is really one of those bands that I just love, or musicians, I should say, that I really do love. And I'll just love the discussion to come out of it. So, thank you very much for checking out this episode. Do the socials, leave a like, share this video with everyone. Hell, tag Mike Oldfield if you can, if he still reads Twitter and all the rest of that. Daddy does, he's got better things on his mind. Have a great day, everyone. Don't forget to stay spicy. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Live Listen Erased. And if you have enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with all your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our Chili Con Carnage crew so you can get notified for all the future videos that we put out, as we put out videos every Friday.
Also, we are on Discord, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter over at Live Listener Race, so make sure to tune in over there. And don't forget to like this video so that our manager can stay very happy.